just do some icebreaker questions just to um so you get used to the to the microphone and, right. and uh, we get into the into the conversation coffee or tea beer beer <laughs> i know like i love coffee <laughs> I, I, I love coffee yeah. honesty honesty there's the other attributes you got a snap all over there and um I wasn't yeah. sure if I could bring beer in here, but I contemplated it. But let's just not get Brett in trouble. We're after hours. Yeah, we can find that out afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Listen, we can figure that out later. Um, what's your go-to prayer? Uh, probably something like "Oh Lord," <laughs> and that is about it. Um, I, I imagine you're asking something a little bit more like what. No, that that's that's good enough. That, that's what I say more yeah. than anything else is just, oh Lord, oh Lord. Yeah, that in and of itself is like a call to him to. I hope it is that and not <laughs> something else. But right, right, um, right. yeah, I, I maybe my favorite prayer is actually just as short. It's just come Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have found that to be remarkably. Um, what it was, he answers that prayer every time that I mm-hmm. I make it. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Um, a saint that you would like to have a drink with? Mm. Saint Augustine probably is my uh, intellectual and uh, emotional guide. I, I think that I've learned more about how to love God from him than anyone else. I don't know if he would drink, um, but I, I, I would love just to be with him yeah. and, and listen to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, last one. Does pineapple belong on pizza? <laughs> pineapple doesn't belong anywhere on earth. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, Are you allergic, Brett? No, pineapple? it's just brutally terrible. I You haven't had good pineapple. I've had it in Hawaii, <gasps> which I would guess is where it's good. I would I would think so. But you, I, you I, like I, it? I don't like it, no. Let alone It makes pizza. the lips you know curl up all the time and no so uh, if, if, if you want to ruin something good that's a great way to go about doing it <laughs> i don't like ruining good things so there you go. no I, I wouldn't put pineapple on pizza do you um, no judgment not necessarily no i'll eat it if it's okay. the only thing available so like if if you invite me to a pizza party okay and you're like yeah i won't pick it off there. or anything i'll it's not yeah. like if i buy a pizza and i get to pick my toppings and let's say i have 10 toppings pineapple will probably won't, won't make be it. One. Mm. okay but if there's a pizza party and there's a hawaiian pizza and everybody ate the meat and everybody ate the pepperoni and everybody ate the veggies whoever eats that one i'll probably i'll probably have a hawaiian versus a, a gluten-free a oh okay yeah, yeah. Because at least it has meat, you know, ham, pineapple. So meat and fruit tops vegetables. For sure. (laughs) Okay. Every time. Okay. I mean, tomato is technically a fruit. That's right. Well, yeah, we can can get in all sorts of rabbit holes. But um, anyways, for whoever is tuning in, we always end up talking about Food, food in the podcast. It's, I think we should do a food podcast. We should do a food with podcast. a side of Catholicism. Yeah, it's like um, this is essentially what this is. Yeah, it's just it's, it's, it's so unfortunate that drinking with the saints is already a thing. Yeah, 
we're just gonna do like and then there's pints with Aquinas so that leaves us like I don't know shots with someone uh, <laughs> shots with someone that has the name that runs with know. shots I don't yeah. know <laughs> well it's a, well, it's a work in progress good yeah. um, it's funny uh, I was listening to Christopher West I think uh, mm-hmm. and he made a really big deal that eating is fundamental to the faith uh where do we find our fall taking place? What what, what action? Eating. Uh, yeah. It's eating. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do we find our salvation at church? And taking eating. It's yeah. an eating. Yeah. Uh, and wow. so there's an interesting consummation of something that he was pointing out with eating that has to do with our fall and our redemption. Interesting. Um, and I, you guys should explore that. I don't know yeah. what all that means, but there's something yeah. to it. Yeah, for yeah sure. we joked about you know d- during the pandemic like I really got into baking sourdough mm. and and all sorts of things and and that's why I'm like thirty pounds overweight now, <laughs> still working on my pandemic thirty, um, but um, I joked that I was gonna make a book baking with the saints for um, feast days. There's some feast days that have a particular like treat baked good associated with like St. Ambrose or St. Lucy. They mm. have a specific uh, things that you can make to celebrate those feast days. But it's still a work in progress as well. Mm-hmm. We should take it up. But, um, we should I, crowdfund it. We should crowdfund it. Give us money so Walter can I don't, keep I don't know why. It's, it's money just, for like time. Just, we'll take your money. We'll buy us a coffee. Money. Go to <laughs> buymeacoffee.com slash barbatos. You can buy us a coffee. You can buy Brett a coffee. For those that don't know you, Brett, can you give us like a... Uh, who's Brad Gilfillan in a nutshell? Um, well, you've got my name. I'm 40-something. Uh, grew up in a wonderful Protestant home. Uh, my, my father's a evangelical minister. Uh, taught me to love Jesus and love the Bible. And I, I still have those two things deeply in my heart. Uh, married a Catholic. Thought that it would work out to uh, maintain Protestantism and Catholicism within the home. And uh, if I had chosen to stay that, it would have been pretty miserable. But thanks be to God, um, working actually in a prison, uh, I came to see the, the truth of the, of the Catholic oh, wow. Church. Uh, and so he, he moved me where, where, where he is. Uh, I've been in education, I guess, for 15 years. Um, more importantly than that, I, I'm, I'm a husband and a, a father of two kids, uh, Augustine and Cosette. They are, I don't know how old they are. <laughs> You'll edit that. You got the names right. So got the names right. Thirteen and nine, maybe. Yeah. Um, Sounds about right. That's the age they look. So I guess perfect. Let's go with that. <laughs> That's what we're gonna go with. <laughs> I do know them, even yeah. though I don't know their age. That's uh, fine. And uh, That's fine. they're they're great kids. Uh, I've, I've, I work at Saint Joan of Arc and have done that only for a couple of months now. Um, a couple things. Uh, the pandemic certainly made teaching and education pretty rough. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know that I made things more helpful for myself either, but um, I, I was just in a position where I, I, I couldn't keep my eyes on anything uh, and wanted desperately to have my eyes on Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank God uh, a position opened here where I get to be silent far more than I, than I was in the classroom. I get to hear Jesus a little bit more. I get to be with people whose profession is to uh, give sacraments to people, uh, and and my job is to preach the gospel. So it's amazing. That's awesome. That sounds like it a, is like a really good job to have. Um, 
Can we touch uh, on on your conversion a little bit on on how it came about and um, that I didn't know that you worked in a prison. That sounds like an amazing story, right then and there. Uh, so my wife would say that I, I I have a tendency to not exaggerate but overdevelop some details. It was a prison. <laughs> it was a juvenile correctional facility uh, for kids who, if they had been eighteen when they committed the crimes, they would they did commit would have been you know adjudicated to the Department of Justice or a state pen. But since they were juveniles, they you know were put into a correctional facility. They were housed. Uh, so I taught at the high school there, which had kids as young as thirteen up to twenty one. Mm-hmm which is not a great environment for a 13-year-old to be in the same sleeping quarters as a 21-year-old. I mean, yeah. just radically different levels of uh, development Development, and the amount of sin that they had been exposed to yeah. was just terrifying. Uh, one of the um, requirements for parole for certain individuals was to go through an anti-gang process uh so they would take a class and they had to publicly renounce their gang life which is a pretty dangerous thing to do if they were to take it seriously and i i, I was at a speech uh, by one of these students and uh, he was publicly renouncing his gang life and i remember thinking to myself why are we buying this it was just obvious as, as night and day to me that he was lying mm. or that, that he had no intention of uh, following through with any of the things that he was mandated by the state to say and I, I just kind of looked around in despair. Uh, and I, it really was a, a hurtful moment in my, my heart because I, I, I saw that he knew how to get out and he was doing what he needed to do to get out. And he was in a, uh, an institution who I thought w- was organized and, and constructed to help him uh, get out safely. And I, I, I wasn't convinced of that. So I, I was talking to the treatment manager afterwards, and, and she just walked me through the innumerable problems that kids who are in gangs, and how, how I mean, they can't get out if they don't want to. Uh, and so the position of a, a facility is not to change them, but simply to keep them uh, from committing a crime for long enough so that they can get them out and have a bed for the next person who Jeez. more recently committed a crime. So, you know, good effort, but not the finances, not the personnel, not the infrastructure to actually help children, which is what they are, uh, have their lives reformed. Uh, and, and as I came to understand what gang life looked like in, you know, northeast Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. uh, it just became very clear to me that the, the institution into which they were born, the family, was not in a position to do them any good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the institution that the government was that you know intended to do some good was unable to for a, a myriad of reasons. Um, but what also struck me was that there needed to be an institution to help these people. Uh, that yes, it could be one-on-one, but there are resources that uh, an individual who was in a gang needed that were beyond any one person to provide. Yeah. And it just struck me one day on, on my drive home, I want to be Catholic. And I, I never had that thought. Mm. I never had that desire. And as I've kind of mined back, why did I have that desire then? I think that it was the Lord kind of showing me that there is such an institution that exists for broken people just like that. Uh, that if, if uh, the, the church has the not just the financial and psychological uh, 
infrastructure to, to help someone. Mm-hmm. But far more importantly than that, the, the sacraments uh, that are physical um, means by which people can have their life changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I don't know how philosophically or theologically sound all, all of that is, but that's how the Lord brought me to the church, that there are broken people whose families, whose state, whose even their, I mean, the only people loyal to them are people who are willing to murder for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and boy, that's, everybody is yearning for community. And that's the community that will just send them to hell. Um, wow. So they, they need a community who, who, who will bring them to heaven. Yeah. And whether the church does it or not, I mean, that's on me uh, as a member of the church. But the church is designed by Christ yes. to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've heard, um, I don't remember right now if it was a book or something. When you're trying to replace someone from um, a community where uh, it's not leading them towards a the the right path let's say um when you give an alternative you need to give them um, a community where they can be accepted and welcome within the um what am i saying what i'm trying to say within um, the the appropriate behavior that is uh, accepted by the community that you are joining basically so replacing um like I will kill for you with I will pray for you and 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 the moral life and all these uh, other things that that our faith teaches um because if you don't have something to um uh, take the place of what you are removing that you had in the other even though it wasn't good um it's not gonna stick mm-hmm. right um Someone smarter than me said that, so I didn't yeah. come to that thought on my yeah. on my own. I just want to say that. Um, I think Jesus says something similar to that when he's talking about the the light that is our eye, right? Like, um, it's easy to think, okay, I've got a bad habit that's in the dark for me, right? I don't replace that by more darkness. Uh, and you know, if, if, if someone's in a gang, if someone's in sin, you don't get out of that with a different institution or a different model that is just a, a different type of vacuum or different or types same, of darkness, yeah. right? Or, or the same, but light has to be brought into it. And just as you're, yeah, I think yeah. absolutely saying it has to be filled, right? So if you're taking away someone's habits or, or community, what you fill it with has to be like what the light does to the darkness, right. uh, just eradicate it and fill. Mm-hmm. You're replacing uh, vice with virtue, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and how long have you had been married to your wife when when you came to this realization? Oh gosh, maybe a year and a half, maybe two years. Mm, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Then you went through RCA and all that. I went through RCA awesome. twice, and uh, it didn't. You failed the first time, or what? Well, that might be the way of saying it. <laughs> no. Did you get like? What, did, you, did you get like set back or? <laughs> I, I was a fighting Protestant man. I, oh, wow. I love and still love the Bible and didn't see the Catholic Church in the Bible. So, uh, no you know, I, I went to RCIA and they were wonderful. And I, I think I was respectful, but I, I was, uh, I mean, just pushing, pushing, pushing. I don't care what the church says. I care what the Bible says. And um, they, they were wonderful. I just, I didn't believe it. So, mm-hmm. uh 
the, the second time, the priest just met with me individually, and it was a, a, a incredibly low-key. And it wasn't RCIA. I was a Christian. Um, so it was just uh, making sure that I knew what the church taught so that mm-hmm. I could profess the faith. Got it. So was was it explained to you what, like, Sola Scriptura, like, was it a one of those Catholic answered debates or, like, Sola Scriptura is not in the Bible kind of situation? That, I, I you know, when I w- was told that, I, it just didn't make sense to me, though. Like, what else is there? Mm-hmm. Um, the... I still saw the argument that the the Bible came from the church kind of as a circular argument. Okay. Uh, and I, I couldn't get out that it was what I, I've later just seen differently, right? That uh, Jesus gives us the church. The church gives us scripture. Uh, I, I was comfortable, I suppose, with believing that the Bible fell out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> R.C. Sproul, who, who was a really respected Protestant theologian, just says... The best we can do as Protestants is agree that it is a, oh, what does he say, um, a divinely inspired but fallible collection of books. Hmm. Like he, you know, from his history, he couldn't perfectly say that the collection of books was infallibly put together, but just okay. that the books themselves Got were it. inerrant. Interesting. That's very interesting. Never heard that. Yeah. But. That makes sense why so many people stay uh, on the side of Protestantism. It, it can be like a big hurdle for for a lot of people, right? Um, but we're glad to have you on 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 the team, and um, I, I've had a lot of good conversations with Brett about the Bible, and now I understand why. I always thought that you were a cradle Catholic, hmm. um, but it's so nice to to know a little bit more of, uh, of your background. Um, well, our, our parish has a, a magazine that is brand new in the issue um, from October. October. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wrote uh, an article on uh, Jesus um, as a teacher. Um, is this a topic that, that you studied already before writing this article? Uh, I think yes and no, not Officially, I think okay. it was just something that as a teacher, and one thing, I, I went to an evangelical school, and you know what they taught us in the teacher school was, uh, you're going to be the most effective teacher if you pray for your students. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what I learned to do was, after class was done, was to sit in the chairs in which my, my students sat and prayed for them, and, and to even just look at where they saw things from the, the class. So, yeah, I, th- I think something like that helped train my mind towards that question of what Jesus is like as the teacher. But it wasn't something that I, I mean, I, I wrote it because Deacon Andy said, hey, Brett, you're writing something. <laughs> so, okay, what is it going to be? Um, and I, I, I think I, I've been doing some work with the parables and something really interesting Jesus says, you know, they ask him, why do you speak in parables? Well, because, and I'm paraphrasing, some people aren't going to understand and some people are. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought to myself as a teacher, why would you speak in such a way that you know some people won't understand? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that it has to do with, well, it's it's understanding, but it's also that some people won't accept him. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that kind of helped me understand, well, what is it that Jesus is teaching? It's not something outside of himself. It's, it's him. Uh, it's, it's him revealing himself through his pedagogy, through his, his art of teaching. Um and so if, if, if people are, are going to reject him, 
Of course they're going to reject what he teaches. Yeah. Even if they don't realize that what he's teaching is himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's Matthew 13. Yeah. So Catholic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's, it doesn't get old to make that joke. I should probably pick up my Bible more. But um, Okay. I really like what you say about um, a teacher being a master pointer. So this student can uh, do the learning when when it's directed in the right direction um, because a lot of times I find myself as a father that I just want to give my kids the answer instead of like pointing them and directing them so they can do the learning themselves mm-hmm. um, granted my oldest is six so it's, it's, it's also talks about how much patience I have with my children but regardless of that um, do you have any like tips or tricks on how to resist that temptation to to save our kids the strife of figuring things out? Hmm. Um, let, let me put it back to you. Uh, when you're asking your kids a question and hoping for the answer, why do you want them to have the answer? Or what are you hoping for with the question? Well... It just came about recently that we were doing uh, the Baltimore Baltimore Catechism for homeschooling. Um, so it, it's a lot of memorizing, but sometimes when we do new questions, they have some idea. And so today I was asking them, um, what is sin? Definition of sin. <clears throat> and um, it took a little while to be like, okay, well, it's uh, when we... Um, d- d- we dis- disobey the law of God. Um, so it took a while to peel <laughs> the onion on, on those uh, um, concepts because to do it age appropriate, I was like, how do I do this? Um, so I guess when I asked them, I want them to um, comprehend a concept that I'm, that I'm trying to get them to to know, to introduce them to. Mm. Um, the faith in particular is uh, a little bit tricky because, you know, we have a lot of things that are uh, a mystery in very, and of itself. Very abstract. Perhaps. Very abstract, yeah. Uh, like the Trinity and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that that we, that we have done. But um, Hence the parables, right? Hence the parables, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so... I guess in, in that way, it, and also, I guess, because I am an engineer, I'm very straightforward. It's like very rational for me to say, this is how you pose the question. There are some hints in the question, um, but my kids most times default to answering God, because most times that could be a, a partial yeah, valid answer, mm-hmm. um, or they they just have like wild guesses, mm-hmm. which is very fun. But <laughs> for it's not productive. Um, so I guess that's what I would say. Uh, that what am I looking for when sure. when I'm uh, trying to ask my kids questions, expecting an answer? I think you know at one level, and I, I'm really glad that you kind of brought up that you, your your children are young, right? So what you're pointing at is something different than what you'll point at when they're 16. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so right now, a definition of sin is good, 
right? And if they can repeat that without totally understanding it, as maybe they shouldn't totally understand it, they're, they're right. not at the age of reason, but if they can say what it is, right, that's really good. I think to hope that, and I don't think that you're doing this, but to hope that they would have tremendous sorrow uh, and contempt for their sins right now, that's something you want to point them to. And you point that to, you know, you, you show them by going to confession, by bringing mm-hmm. them to confession. That, that That's how you point that as, as they get older. Yeah. But, you know, you, you don't start with a, 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 trigonom- a trigonometry proof, right, <laughs> for, for a six-year-old. You just start with, well, what are the numbers? Uh, what are the definitions? Um, and I, I think yeah. as they start to grasp what, what pointing looks like, then maybe another way of saying it, right, um, this may not be helpful. If I point, there's two things you might be tempted to look at. One is my finger, and the other is what my finger is pointing to. Mm-hmm. And I think especially younger children or, or, or those who aren't used to being pointed, um, like the dog almost, the dog will sniff our finger when we point. Yeah. Right. It doesn't know that we're uh, directing its gaze towards something else. Uh, and so I, I, I don't think it's a problem that a six-year-old won't see along with your finger yet. But, I mean, as, as we teach our kids through our lives, as we mm-hmm. point them to Christ and, and how we live, they'll, they'll start to look with us, mm-hmm. you know, towards Christ. And then you know, the, the little points that we make along the way, age-appropriate. Uh, oh, I, I can define a sin. I can define a sacrament. I can define a doctrine of, of the church. Uh, and then as I see my dad... You know, worship Jesus Christ and yeah. receive the sacraments. The the fullness of the point yeah. comes it, into play. And I think also learning is about repetition. Mm. You know, it's about um, constancy because we don't learn math from just seeing seeing it explained once. You know, there's it, it takes. That's what I like about homeschooling, at least the curriculum that we're following, is that they do the same thing every year. You know, they have history for the first year, and then the following year, they have the same history, but it, it's age-adjusted. Age but they go through the same thing, hmm. the same periods for three years straight. Same with, like, um, uh, I don't know, English or um, the faith, you know. So it's, like, always being reintroduced, but as their brain develops... They can capture more, so more is given. And the repetition of it, even when they're kids, when they're the young kids, that they're not, like you said, at the age of reason, to become familiar with that language is better than, okay, you're 15 now. You should know what sin is. Yeah. You know, it's like, whoa, I, I don't get it. you know, Or I don't want to get it because right. I have no interest in it because this is not the way I live. Yeah. You know? So just as you're describing that, I just thought to myself, what a magnificent teacher the church is. Mm-hmm. I mean, she does the exact same thing in the liturgy, right? I mean, we, we get in year A, B, and C the yeah. same readings, but again and again and again. And, you know, what is the same every single Sunday is, is, is the Mass. So it, she continually is just pointing in yeah. the same way towards Jesus every, yeah. single, every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, what what you said about you know when when a kid looks at their parents, um, sometimes it's not us pointing, but it's just 
our actions mm-hmm. are being observed every time that we do anything the kids are like sponges right so sometimes i find my kids doing the thing that i don't like about my personality when they like talk to their siblings in a way that i'm like okay that's definitely something that they have heard me say <laughs> that i need to correct um so our actions are also pointing at whether is something positive or negative they're gonna pick it up because mom and dad do that so that's like what i've been battling with lately that i'm like okay i need to do a better job at this as a role as a father as a teacher mm-hmm. and you know being a like kind of christ in the in the home, fam- in the home, yeah. the family life, and that's where the humility comes in. Oh boy! Right, right? both with your kids and with yourself to say, I can't uh, be this example. Mm-hmm. I should be better. Mm-hmm. I need to be better. Um, and coming back to the pointing thing, you know, because I have the same type of issue when it comes to just telling my kids an answer sometimes. And I think we we share that type of pragmatic look at things. You know, because you just want efficiency at some point. <laughs> like, this is what it is, you know, and this is why. And but by doing that, I think you hinder their their thirst for figuring things out too. You know, you giving them some answer to some problem helps you out because because mm. you feel that you've given them the answer. Mm. It just it just something will click. It'll click when they figure it out and they can't figure it out if we're always giving them the answers you know which with my youngest uh my eldest like learned to read really early like she was very young when she learned to read um not gonna say that she did it by herself right i mean we obviously um did things that promoted this love of reading that she still to the day has but when my little one was starting to come to that same stage obviously we were judging her with the standard of the first one right Mm -hmm. oh she did it you must be able to do it too we've done exactly the same things with you but obviously they're different and we thought it was going to take like more work and it did but when it clicked you saw it Mm. it was visible when it clicked that she started putting like the letters together in the sentences and everything. It was amazing to witness. I had never seen anything like that in my life. Mm-hmm. So patience, I think, is another thing that, that we need to practice as parents. You know, I'm, I'm assuming as a teacher, you would have to have oodles of it because you have the answer. You're trying to have the student figure it out. The, the the tension, you know, for, for the teacher is, do I want them to have the answer or do I want them to be able to discover the answer? Exactly. Because if, if, if the teacher's job is just to give the answer, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm doing anything good for them that a yeah. dictionary couldn't do. <laughs> uh, but if, if I teach them a process, if I teach them yeah. a virtue like patience, mm-hmm. uh, working through frustrating problems, you know, that your daughter is frustrated by by reading but sticks with it Mm -hmm. is i mean that's every bit as valuable as what she's learning yep totally um i i think on the teaching side what was really humbling to realize is that i i would assume because i've taught something they learned it 
uh, and you know, you ask the question, if they didn't learn, have I taught? Hmm. And that kind of plays with you after a little bit. Well, of course I taught. I gave the answers. Or, of course, I taught I was speaking for 45 minutes. <laughs> but if they haven't learned, I don't know that I've taught anything or not. And I, it's a live question. I, yeah. I don't know the answer to it. Um, but what I do know is that the purpose of my teaching is for them to learn. Mm-hmm. So if I've taught poorly, I need to teach better. If they didn't learn, I need to teach in such a way that they will, will see it. Which I, I think is kind of the, the beautiful thing of pointing, right? Yeah. Yeah. At some point, I'm sorry, <laughs> you, you just, there's nothing else to do but just to be silent and point at the bloody thing that you want them to see. Um, and then, you know, they, they, they say it wrong. Okay, they say it wrong. Just shake your head. Keep pointing. And there's that persistence. Okay, eventually that they'll get there. And okay, now call to mind, how did you get there? Mm-hmm. How do you know what you did before was wrong? And, and help work them through the myriad of mistakes so that the next time it still might be onerous, but it's a little bit easier. Yeah. And so maybe that's why, you know, Jesus, um, you know, these parables, he says that really mystery, mysterious thing to he who has ears, let him hear who has eyes, let him see. Well, don't we all have ears? Apparently not. <laughs> uh, do, do we have ears to hear what he is, is, t- is telling us? Which does mean some digging, some some humility, just like what you brought up before. You know, I mean, are we going to be humble and listen to Christ? And I, I mean, that's who he says he came for—the sick, the people who need his 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 grace. Yeah. If I think I've got people. it, then I, you know, I don't have anything to learn from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, man, that's a lot to unpack right then and there. <laughs> I. Uh, what what you wrote about Jesus being pointing to himself because he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, um, that that resonated with me because of uh, what you talk about the the curious student that is uh, looking for something and that something is God because in part of my coming back to the church that I took a detour through uh, high school and college. Um, it was a uh, an intellectual conversion, so to speak. It had to make sense rationally for me, um, and then the heart followed. Um, so I I I think that there is a lot of value in 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 people that are seeking, and people that are pointing those who are seeking. But what do you do when there's people that don't like how to think or no, don't know how to think? Um, and some people might say that everybody's a philosopher, but not everybody asks the important questions of why we are here, where do we come from, where are we going? Um, in your experience in education, have you had um, chances to kind of be a philosopher with your students to to help them think of all of these uh, I, I want to call them transcendental questions well i mean one of the blessings of being a teacher is that uh you have to spend at least an hour every single day with kids and so they can't help and you can't help but get to know one another and if if christ is at the center of my life though i won't say it in a public school 
you know, that that should come through. And it certainly comes through with the students for whom Christ is at the center of their life. Um, I'm sorry, I think I, I was catching in two streams of thought of what you were just saying. One was for those who aren't curious. Right. And those for, you know, as a teacher, just how I... Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, okay, there's, there, there's going to be people, I guess it's a twofold question. For those that are seeking that you can help them, point them to God, and for those who are not, how do you get them to think? Or how do you get someone to start thinking or learn how to think? Um, I, one of the things that I mentioned earlier about St. Augustine is that you know he, he, he taught me how to think in a lot of ways, but I think I was more than that. I think I learned how to love from him. Hmm. And one of the things he talks about is... Um, you know, not not necessarily a, a question for the the, the the lethally intellectual person, but I think it goes to everyone. If you had all the material goods that you ever wanted, food, pleasure, uh, a, a, anything you wanted, and you had that for eternity with no hope of ever losing it, would you be satisfied? And, and right, I mean, you, you shake your head. Walter says, "Well, maybe, but <laughs> no." But I, I mean, he, he asks it, and he he answers by saying, "We wouldn't." And I I think that you know, for the lethally rational person who doesn't want to believe in God, that Augustine's argument from desire undermines some intellectual uh, defenses that people have, because it's not so much about what I know or believe. But it's about something that is radically unsatisfying about the world in which I live. Mm -hmm. And even if it were as good as I could possibly imagine with no hope of it ever going away. Let me say that differently. With no possibility of it ever going away, I would still be unsatisfied. But aren't, aren't, why do, why is it the case that the material world is so unsatisfying, even if we had it for forever? Well, there, there must be something non-material about us uh, that, that is yearning for a satisfaction. So I, I you know, that, 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 that's one way of thinking about your question is that, you know, yeah. people who aren't curious, ask them the question that you are made curious by or you think mm -hmm. that they would be made curious by. And if it's someone who's, you know, desperately an intellectual, uh, I, I don't know, maybe there's something to undermining that because we're not just pure intellects. We are yeah. bodies and wills too. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to help them see the fullness of themselves uh, is, is a way to help them see, I think, the fullness of God. Mm -hmm. Nice. I like it. Do you think that there's an issue right now with kids being introspective and... Because I, I believe that everything is very on the surface with kids. You know, talking about the pleasures, like the, the mm -hmm. dopamine that, I don't know, cell phone gives them or I don't, sex gives them or whatever. You know, whatever one of those pleasures that you were talking about that they can have eternally, well, they have it right now, basically. Yeah. You know, they don't want for anything in terms of how our culture is moving. But... How does that translate into the society? Because we're just seeing um, vast amounts of like depression 
and suicide amongst teens and amongst like young people and substance abuse <clears throat> substance abuse you know because they need to yep. fill it with something so it's it's very bad that it's not being reinforced to be able to think to be able to be introspective but they don't let them be introspective, introspective in school right it's like if you see somebody like I'm, I'm correct me if i'm wrong but typically they see that kid as a weird kid that is like okay you're not paying attention mm. like no i'm, I'm like mm -hmm. thinking mm. allow me to think because i'm figuring things out in my brain even though you think i'm not paying attention I don't know what my question was. No, I I, I, I think that's really important that there's an absence of silence exactly. in our yeah. adolescence. But I, I don't fault them for that. I think mm -hmm. that it's the parents. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's our generation's fault that we've distracted ourselves to oblivion. Um, I mean, one, one of the really interesting things, uh, when I was teaching in the prison, uh, they... they frequently were more interested in something that was going on in their lives than what I happened to be presenting on in the day. And if I were just at my ropes end uh, and I needed a break, I would put some music on. And I, you know, the platonic idea that uh, music will, will tame the wild beast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it helped some. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it kept them from behaving radically inappropriately. Um, And then I read somewhere that Satan hates sacred music. Hmm. So instead of Bach, I put on Gregorian chant. And it created the loudest silence oh, uh, wow. that I've just ever experienced. And one kid said, why are you playing Christian music? Because we need, we need it. And that was all he said. Um, but... He knew it was Christian oh, music. Oh, he knew it was... Yeah, the, and yeah I, I never even thought about that. He did know. That, that's interesting. But I, I wonder, too, just, I mean, I, I don't know how to fix the world. All I can do is fix... What That's what we're here for, Brett. <laughs> oh, well, you got the wrong person. What what I would recommend is, in my own home, mm -hmm. uh, create silence. Uh, I mean, I, some of our, my best thinking is just when I'm walking, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, I, I, I'm not listening to anything. The, the mind can wander. What a healthy thing that is. And, and if, if children don't have that, if they're just getting dopamine kicks all the time, what happens when they don't get that? That They have to race for something yeah. more dire, a higher dose. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. higher hit, yeah. bigger hit. My five-year-old is now craving to retreat and be alone hmm. away from his siblings and i'm like good luck buddy boy <laughs> now you know how i feel <laughs> it's like we might have a monk vocation in the home are, are you an introvert i don't know i think i would say that i'm an extrovert because i can talk to people but the more i'm i'm close to 40 now and i think now i'm a homebody and Sometimes I get energized when I am in a social setting, but sometimes I feel very drained afterwards. Yeah. Same. So I don't know. Yeah. It depends on the day. Fair enough. I, yeah, that might be the case for more people than mm -hmm. the labels would allow. Yeah. Yeah. But still, you know, it's a fine balance, right? Because you don't want to be like a curmudgeon that are only like at home, not 
having uh, healthy relationships with others um, versus someone who just has superficial relationships with everybody. Hmm. It's a fine balance, I would it say. It is. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working. I'm, I'm not working. I'm taking class at the Kino Institute right okay. now, and uh, we were looking at Genesis one and two this morning, and um, the the spirit of God is is, is mentioned twice, um, at least twice, and uh, you know the Hebrew word is breath, and that's what spirit means, mm. and. Um, what, uh, one of the Trinitarian formulas is, you know, things are in the, uh, what does it go? It's through the spirit, right? Or in, what's the preposition? I'm so sorry, I can't remember. I, I don't know what you were referring oh, to. Oh, shoot. Um, I'd have to look at it. Like uh, in the rite of baptism? Or may, maybe. Or, or um, I, I'm stumbling here, I'm so sorry. The, the idea is that, you know, Christ is the word. Of mm-hmm. God, and when I say a word, I'm also breathing the word out. Okay, and so the Spirit is uh, the breath, but Christ is the Word. Mm. So there's this beautiful pairing of the two, oh, nice. as you know, they, they um, as, as, as they come or, or interact with with the Father. And I was just thinking about that in light of you know the idea of silence. If I can hear my own breath. You know, then maybe I'm participating in something silent, and and I I suppose that's important because that's how God, you know, He forms us out of clay and He breathes into mm-hmm. our nostrils. Um, the boy, this is a tangent that isn't that's nearly awesome. as that's clear really as cool. I was anticipating it or or hoping what it. We have a lot of that in that podcast. Yeah, it's okay. Good. It's all good. Um, last question, I would say to to put a bow on it. Is there something that we haven't talked about that you would like the people who are listening to know? Related to the... (laughs) How do we put a bow on that? (laughs) Um, uh, I just feel some dead air here. I I, I don't know. (laughs) Um, Read Augustine. Augustine's great. Be silent. And adoration is the best place for that. Mm-hmm. I need to tell myself that more frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, quick question, quick follow-up on yeah. adoration. Do you just sit in silence or do you read or what do you do in, in your holy hour? A mix of things. Okay. Uh, I, I love St. Teresa of Calcutta. She talks about you know when she's in adoration, she just looks at Christ and wants to be looked at by him. And I, I, I try and do that sometimes. Uh, my wife, uh, when when she's there, she just copies down the gospel, and I love that because she's uh, actually listening to the words of Christ mm-hmm. as as she's adoring him. That that's beautiful. Um, I, I I I don't read very well in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I I, I do prefer my own thoughts or or trying to just look at Christ. Nice. Um, I can be with my own thoughts. I, no. I'll just wonder. I, I'm training myself to be more silent in that way because I need crutches. Mm. I need the rosary, not to call the rosary a crutch. I hope that doesn't come off as a 
heresy or something. But you know, I need I need a tangible thing mm-hmm. to to keep me focused or a book. Um, but when I come into adoration and I don't have any of those things, I do find myself wandering about the day or about what's happening next or what what we're gonna feed the kids or what's happening this weekend. But then I have to force myself to come back. It's like, okay, sorry. Sorry, I'm here. I'm here. That's okay. You listen. You come I'm back. listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think one of the, I think, weirdest things that I've done is um, my holy hour is just me. And and it's uh, very early in the morning. Um, one time I took the St. Michael hymnal and I just started mm. singing hymns. And somebody was... <laughs> entering the chapel while I was finishing one of the stances and I felt so shame. Uh, I felt a lot of shame. I was like, oh, I shouldn't be singing. <laughs> but maybe they they should have joined in or listened. I don't know. Hmm. Just drop a comment. Tell us if, if you sing at, in front of the Blessed Sacrament or not. <laughs> um, might be a good expression. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. If you, even if you don't sing well. Pray that God gives you a voice for singing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a priest in Mexico said that. So yeah. there you go. And that who sings prays twice. There you go. Uh, Saint Augustine. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Brad, thank you so much for your time. This has been a wonderful conversation, and uh, may God bless you and your family and your ministry. And thank you for taking the time to talking to us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Wonderful being with you guys. We'll we'll get a beer sometime soon. Oh, oh for sure. Yeah. yeah. Good. And for everybody else, uh, go to direct.me forward slash barbatus for more information on the podcast. And we will see you next week. Until the next time. Bye. <laughs>